Good evening, 007. My name is James Bond. And members of your curious profession are few in number. You have been recognized. Let's say by one of your opposite numbers, who is also licensed to kill. Oh, that interesting car of yours. <laughs> I, too, have a new toy, but considerably more practical. You are looking at an industrial laser, which emits an extraordinary light not to be found in nature. It can project a spot on the moon, or at closer range, cut through solid metal. I will show you. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. All right, hello, hello, and welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti, and I am joined by some wonderful fellows that I can't wait for you to talk to tonight. First of all, we have my wonder from down under, Deanie Weenie, Jelly Beanie. How are you? Okay. Well, there's a new one. <laughs> yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I've just landed in Sydney from my hometown of Melbourne. It's the first plane flight since lockdown and 18 months or something, so... I'm excited. I'd almost forgotten how to fly. Yeah. Just I to bet. be a passenger, I mean, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Also with us today is my husband, Paul <laughs> Francis Sullivan. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, it, it's always interesting being on a podcast where we don't talk baseball. Yeah. And, and I not- promise I won't talk baseball. Really? Because I was really hoping you would. But anyway. And also joining us today, I am thrilled that he's here. He is a senior segment producer. He's produced everybody from Jimmy Kimmel, Kevin Hart, Jennifer Lopez, Gloria Steinem, Chris Rock. That's a dinner party I'd love to go to. And Prince's last late night appearance. He's a writer. He writes for game shows, pilots, talk shows, and comedy shows. It is Adam Spiegelman. Hey, Speaks. Hello, everybody. And I also hanging with you. I want to also just say the first podcast I ever got hooked on and became a regular listener to was Proudly Resents Adam Spiegelman's cult movie podcast, which I was a guest on several times. First, oh, podcast, first podcast I ever appeared on. And but I listened to all the episodes, whether I appeared on it or not. And go go find the go listen to all the back episodes. They're really funny. And there you get uh, my single favorite uh, critique of Jaws for the Revenge is uh, is it's you and Nico, right? Talk, is mm. it talking about? And and um, I I love that show. I love that show. It's called uh, Nick Jaws for Nico Zero. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Check that episode out. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, Thank you for having me. 
gentlemen, you're here today. Well, for before we get into the actual reason that we're here today, um, I just want to know what everybody's watching. Um, it's that time of year where I, I'm in mid-binge. It is my favorite state of mind to be, where I'm really deep into uh, a series. I'm watching Peaky Blinders. The Peaky oh. Blinders! As Paul knows. And I'm in that I'm in that state of mind where it's like I'm under its spell. It's like I constantly want to be having tea and whiskey and smoking cigarettes and 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 all that stuff. And it's great. And talk about casting. Oh my goodness. With just there's just one piece of casting that is not great. Right. Don't we go back and cut it, you <laughs> motherfucker? I can't say that. Okay. I, I said great. Okay, there- it's great. So there's only one piece of casting that I think is uh, not to my liking, but the rest of it is amazing. And boy, you know, we have a lot of actors who listen to this podcast. And if you want to learn about acting, just go watch Helen McCrory's performance as Polly in Peaky Blinders. I mean, just her shoulders are an education in acting. I mean, she is phenomenal. But what's everybody else binging or watching? Anybody? Or have you watched anything recently? You know what? We just finished um, The Sex Lives of College Girls. Oh, yes. We watched that on HBO. It's, no. Uh, it's really good. I would love to hear your opinion on the casting because it's like four different types of women that were cast, kind of like the kooky Indian woman, the hard-nosed sports-centric African-American woman, the blonde kind of rich, spoiled girl, and uh-huh. then the average Midwest girl that's out of fish out of water. So I don't know. It's a great show. It's yeah. a lot of fun to watch. I've heard that. It's Mindy Kaling's show. Although what you said, it almost reminds me of the facts of life. Did you watch the facts of life live? <laughs> it's like the facts <laughs> of life in college. <laughs> it's not far. You know, now that you say it, yeah. Bong. <laughs> Dino, what are you watching? Well, I've been super busy with work. Uh, as, as you, as, as you know, Lisa, over the last sort of few months, it's my peak time. So, I've been doing very little. All uh, This is how far behind I am. My wife and I just got into the first episode of the second series of Ted Lasso. So we are <laughs> kind of way behind. No, we um, just started but, watching it, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, we're three it. episodes in, so. Yeah, yeah. And and, and if someone told me that. at the end of the second season. Thanks a bunch Sorry. there, Mr. Oh. Golden Tonsils. Thank you don't you. know who, who he is, though. Uh, oh, that's true. I assume. Yeah. yeah, good point. But coming up on the plane with my it's technical Ted. director, Ray, he was giving a big rap to a new series on Amazon called The Expanse. Uh, it's a sci-fi series, which mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a buff, and he's read the books as well that they come from. And his comment was that it's possibly the best TV sci-fi show he's ever seen and that someone must have done a good job on the casting because – he said, when you see the characters come into the series, it, you just go, yeah, they nailed that. They totally nailed it. So I'm curious to have a look at that. So I can't recommend it because I haven't seen it, but that's the note that I just made, talk about binging. You know, I always fall behind all my watching during the baseball season because I'm more into watching baseball. But since the end of the world series. You said se- you weren't going to talk about baseball. Paul. I said, I'm, but I'm saying since yeah. the end of the world series that I really love the show The Crown. And I've been catching up on I'm now it's the season with Princess Diana and and Charles. And I've, I just think that, and Olivia Coleman as as the queen. Boy, I hate Prince Philip. Prince Philip is an a-hole. You know, the <laughs> fact that he would act. Snu- he was so obsessed with the three men who landed on the moon. But when he finally met him, he was stunned that they weren't like very articulate or poetic, that they were just like good pilots and astronauts. He said, 
And like he's like, they're, they're, they're not extraordinary men at all. Shut up. You're like a child of Nazis. You would have done nothing in your life. <laughs> Prince Philip, uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Hey, hey, Phil. At least I fathered all my own children. And of course, we as a family have been watching Cheers, and it's the unbelievable. Oh, it's unbelievable how much of it has held up. Like, not everything has held up, but so much of it. It's great character-driven comedy, and at least the first five seasons were really great. Really, what do your sons think of it? Oh, they love it. They love it. They they loved Coach. They loved Woody. It's the early seasons with Kirstie Alley. It's the first few. So when they weren't quite sure what to do with her yet, so they're still kind of feeling out what to do with her because the finale with Diane in season five is is just, I think, just perfection. It holds up. At least the first few seasons really hold up. I feel like the last episode of that too was pretty amazing. I remember, yeah, I yeah. remember the finale be one of the few, one of the finales that stuck the landing. So yeah, yeah, one of the few. Tonight is the uh, finale of Secession. Should be watching. Oh, it's this. tonight. Okay, and this is not going to post until you know a couple of days from now. But yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's such a talk about casting i mean it's just uh, an amazing show and there's a lot to uh, parse in that show dean you're not watching secession are you? but i'm desperate to do it because it's it, it it looks like great tv and of course it's a thinly veiled take on the murdochs and i'm quite interested in the business and the media side so i want to see what they do with that and so we're i wrap this job up but i fly back home friday and then it's just i'm coasting into christmas and in australia january we just coast through january we treat that like one of your like a giant Thanksgiving weekend, but extended to 30 days. Everyone takes the work off. Nobody does wow. anything. You just work around the house. You do a off little I bit go. of work. And- off I go. <laughs> so that <laughs> is going to be definitely, it's the number one, my, my pick is just, to, is just to binge that entire thing and catch up in two days. So, yeah, I can't wait. Okay, but let's get to the topic of our podcast today. So every few I don't know, years, decades, I don't know what it is. Our industry gets into a tizzy about who is going to take the martini tumbler, you know, who's going to take the reins and be the next James Bond. Now, I mean, for me at this point, I, I can honestly say I don't give it a second thought. It's something that I feel like is just Hollywood marketing itself and putting itself in a tizzy and and the broccoli family kind of trying to drum up some interest. But I know there are a huge amount of James Bond fans and, and th- there's always this huge conversation. Who's going to take the reins? And I'm here to say that it's going to be very shocking, but I don't think there really needs to be another James Bond. I think that that archetype that's turned into a stereotype in my woke eyes, I guess, right now isn't needed. And if even if you had to define what is the James Bondness that one would need, I mean, a womanizing, smooth talking, gidgy gadget flicking, like who needs it when we have our so Wait, many that bad? other. Well, is that bad? I just, is that I, just bad? I, didn't, like, I didn't know. I missed that. Memory. You were you were, you were describing <laughs> Dean, really. I know. But yeah. I mean, who's going to be insult. the next Batman? Did I just like, get canceled? I think, I think who's going to be the next Batman for me? Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Who's going to be the next other things? But for me, the I don't know what is what is it that makes somebody a James Bond? Anybody want to well, tell I, me? 
I think that's a great point. What is it? You have to be handsome and debonair and just seem like you can handle, like like Sully, you can just um, handle your shit without looking like a lunatic. You know, you're not going to look like Jason Statham, but you can kick as much ass as Jason Statham without, you know, looking so crazy. But your point is, why do we still need them? And I feel like that's a good point. Like, why do we... I mean, honestly, we're going to watch a movie where someone says, you can talk into your watch. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you could put this small microphone. You could take a picture with it, a really small device. You know, they used to do that in the old movies. And now, you know, right. you can just do that. Right. I mean, with all the superhero friends, all the superhero franchises and all the different, like, what is it about this role that people just can't let go of and i i mean i know back in the day i could understand the appeal back in the day but to you know it just doesn't that archetype just doesn't appeal to me anymore paul please i i, I think there's something that bond the bond films have an illusion that they haven't changed like the, the bond character has remained constant but he really has there's a bit there. If you look at the Connery films, if you look at the Daniel Craig films, they're very different. You look at the Brosnan films, you look at the Moore films, they're very different. They always seem to adapt. The, 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 one of the reasons why they survive is they've adapted. They've adapted to different tastes. They've adapted to different types of audiences. You look at, I mean, there's a great action sequence in Casino Royale, the not the one with Peter Sellers and David Niven, but the one with Daniel Craig, which kind of feels like a born identity scene where right. they're running up and down the crane they had and there's been like franchise films now i call it the 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 revenge of the nerds is that the industry has kind of turned into the revenge of the nerds that they have taken over the wanting franchises to take them very seriously and and do a lot of fan service and and the daniel craig portrayal of bond is very close to the in fleming portrayal and they and they don't they take it seriously and there are serious action films as compared to some in the past. So I, I think that the bond character of being a cool sort of upper class, cool. He's not a working class guy. He's an upper class. I mean, Connery's bond and more. Daniel Craig kind of wasn't though, but he, he was, but it, he was in the very beginning of Christine Royale. He was this sort of uh, rough, blunt person who eventually becomes at the end the, the, his last line is my name is bond james bond in in casino royale as he evolves into the the person that the, you know, the character that we have grown to know and he plays the sort of the the classy guy maybe not up as much as as connery does but there's that sense of being the coolest guy in the room with the coolest car that everyone wants to be and has a license to kill will always have a certain appeal I, to where you're saying, Lisa, I haven't seen the latest film, the, the No Time to Die. I understand there's an element to it that kind of makes it really final that it's Daniel Craig's last one. I wouldn't mind expanding it and seeing other people in MI6 to see if we're if we're all into these expanded universes. I wouldn't mind other agents coming in to visit M and seeing the their missions that they go off on. And, you know, maybe expanding on make us miss Bond a little bit. But I think there's going to be always a desire to see someone who is the coolest person, who's kind of, you know, dresses great, looks great, is put together, goes to exotic locations, has weird gadgets and does really cool stuff. I think that the appeal of that is going to be 
the fact that it survived as long as it has shows that it has a generational appeal like Batman, like Superman, who also have adapted over the years. I think, it, it, you know, it's the reason why we care about James Bond and not Dick Tracy is, you know, it adapts to the different times. Again, there's a lot of you know, the the Roger Moore years adapted almost comically like they, there was a there's a space battle with lasers in the middle of Moonraker, like two years after Star Wars came out. And a year after Jaws came out, there was a villain named Jaws who bites a shark like, gee whiz. OK, I think we're adapting a little too much to the pop culture around us. But jump the shark. What? Jumped the shark. Uh, yeah, they, well. he jumped and bit the shark. But, uh, but it's I, the same thing the Jason Bourne thing. Like they'll just adapt to what they think will make the money, right? And bring people in to keep the franchise fresh. But it, mm. you know, as as the one person here who has seen the last one, um, I think they. But they always do adapt it. They do change it. Like the the womanizing was in the height with Roger Moore, and then changed after him. And it just immediately was like a one woman the whole movie or. One woman in the beginning, and then he falls in love with someone at the end. And in this movie, he's married, um, or he's about to marry, you know, a woman. So it's there's none of the, you know hanky panky, but there are beautiful women, and the beautiful woman that's introduced in the middle of the film this time, instead of being the seductress with some awful name that you can't repeat <laughs> around the kids, um, she is like a badass agent that's there to help him. Mm-hmm. It's a scene like right out of Wonder Woman. If you're talking about adapting. The Wonder Woman scene when they go, to, well, every movie has that scene where they have to go to a big ball to get yeah. the microfilm, you know, oh, yeah. and they have to dress in a gown and look yep. beautiful and, and, you know, pass around people. So they do that. And uh, she's amazing. She just kicks a lot of ass. So they replace that kind of octopusy with a badass woman fighting. So they are trying to change that image. And then, of course, there's the female James Bond in this movie, a 007 rather in this movie. I don't know, what do you think about a woman taking over James Bond? Just just call it something else. I don't yes, know. Exactly. I don't know. Dean, go ahead. Yeah. You, you yeah, it's like the core values. You've got to remember this was written in the 50s, right? By a guy who who came who, who was born around the turn of the century or thereabouts, right? So the the sort of cancel woke aspects that I think these days you go, come on, if you were around, I was about 12 or 13 when I saw Dr. No. And I guess some of the comments that people have said about Daniel Craig when he made his debut and him walking out of the water with, you know, his skimpy boxer briefs on sort of thing. And I remember having a similar reaction to Ursula Andress as a 13-year-old going, wow, you know, that was just, ooh, what, what, what just happened to me? What just, what just moved? What was that? <laughs> and uh, it's true. I was 13. Come on. She's gorgeous and honey child. And so for me, you know, that was my first Bond movie and that sort of set the tone. And I could enjoy, to some extent, the the middle Bond era, the campy era, Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan even, but I really think Bond is at his best when he's when he's being a hard ass, somebody that you know would kick your ass. Whereas I'm like, okay, Roger's got his gadgets. I reckon I could take Roger Moore, right? I could take him, right? Whereas like Daniel Craig, no, no. that guy's going to kick my ass. I really like the Daniel Craig version of Bond. I think that um, it's evolved as as both of you, particularly Paul, as as you've mentioned. They've had to adapt, obviously, the stories and the tone of the movie to the to the casting. So they've decided, okay, we've got Roger Moore. Roger Moore, you know, is is not Jason Statham, and he's never going to be. Whereas, as you said, Adam, you know, you could imagine uh, there'd be a face-off, right? Uh, let's have a Jason Statham versus <laughs> Daniel Craig, you know, fight. Hey, oh, I'd pay to see fight. that. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good fight. Statham would win. 
Yes, I, I think, think he would. Yeah. But you know, that said, I think the 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 stories and the productions, the villains of they have to stick to certain tropes, or it's not Bond. Right. And so mm-hmm. you know, you've got your arch villain, and I think they've done well with the villains recently. I thought the poker scene in Casino Royale was really well staged. That was a great sequence. Mm-hmm. And just really, just really well written and really well done. So for me, I'm always going to go and see the next Bond film until a point where I go, oh, now they've really messed it up. And to me, I didn't care about the ones in the 70s through the middle. But once they sort of, even the uh, Timothy Dalton, I thought wasn't bad. But um, yeah, when they got Daniel Craig, I'm like, I'm really happy where this is going. Yep, I'm in. I'm all in. Let's go. I just want to make two, two points here. First of all, in GoldenEye, the first Pierce Brosnan film, they addressed the misogyny of James Bond by having his boss be M and be uh, Judy Dench. And Judy Dench dresses him down saying, you're misogynistic, you're a dinosaur, you're of a different era. I think, you know, GoldenEye actually, you know, had to address the elephant in the room that James Bond's a Cold War character and the Cold War is over. And I think GoldenEye is actually one of the best Bond films because it addressed it, you know, it had one of the double O's turning against, you know, like, you know, go, working with the Russians. I actually am a huge fan of the first Timothy Dalton Bond film, The Living Daylights. I think that's one of the best Bond films, period. It's a, because it's an actual spy film. There's espionage. There's spy stuff goes on. And I think a lot of the stuff that Daniel Craig gets a lot of credit for, for taking it seriously, giving it a hard edge. Timothy Dalton was trying to do the same thing back in 1987, but we were just a few years removed from James Bond in space. I think that people weren't ready for that. But I will say just quickly that Lisa said that Bond is kind of irrelevant now. And there's two points where the franchise almost ended because of irrelevance. One was when Connery left for good after Diamonds Are Forever. And one was when the Cold War ended. And in both instances, everyone kind of threw their hands up. Well, that's it. For, that's it. Bond is over. And in those instances, Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan were the reason why the series had longevity. I'm not saying they were the best, but audiences appreciated Roger Moore, who I think would have made a great comedic romantic lead, like in romantic comedies, because he, had, he, he did the comedy and through quips. He was the best comedic Bond. And people liked Brosnan. And that kept the franchise alive during the 90s, which led to, you know, it would have been a relic. And so while at, at Bond, every once in a while, stubs its toe into irrelevance, and then something will always jilt it back. And I think one of the important things is to make us miss them a little bit. You know, <laughs> don't make one for a little bit. Make us miss you. And well, uh, that will go a long way. Well, I mean, you just made me think of something, Paul. Like, if there was a version of Bond that actually was a throwback to the Cold War, and you went back to Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy kind of era, where you went back in time and looked at a spy who didn't have the, you know, the gidgy gadgets, but had to do things the old-fashioned way, you know, or whatever, that might be interesting. Uh, I don't know. Adam, what do you think? I think that is more fun because we we kind of we always want the gadgets for James Bond. But again, at this point, what what can does he have that we don't have? You yeah, know, what, this is every gadget right here is my iPhone. I have a Q. What do you have? I have a new app. Uh, you'll love it. <laughs> Put it. An app. Put it on your phone. Trust me, it will work. Whatever song is out there, you can tell what it is. No one will know. 
um, yeah, I think there, and there, you know, Pierce Bronson, like he really did save the series. I thought he was the best, and I could have just watched him doing it forever. You know, Timothy Dalton came in the eleventh hour to replace him, so I was always kind of like resented Timothy Dalton. I always thought he was like the guy that stole the role from the one who should have had it. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth was that you know uh, Pierce Bronson was doing Remington Steel. They canceled it. They kind of canceled it. Yeah. And then he got James Bond, and they're like, "Wow, there's so much press. Let's bring Remington Steel back." And he did three movies, and he was screwed for a few years. But, but I thought it was a good to have someone in between Roger Moore, and you know someone else. So you you let Timothy Dalton take a lot of that rap, you yeah. know. Yeah, and and remember, Roger Moore and Sean Connery are roughly the same age. Actually, Roger Moore is a little bit older, and so people were used to Bond being a certain age, and then a much younger. Timothy Dalton, who might be the best actor to play him. He's a very talented actor. And I, as again, I'm a huge fan of The Living Daylights. The second film they did, which was The License to Kill, is one of my least favorite Bond films because it's a drug cartel loner against, you know, it's like, it's a Miami Vice episode. It's not. Again, a, they, they went with what was happening in the zeitgeist. Right. Yeah. Except it didn't work that time. It didn't no, it was work. like a TV movie. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't It good. stunk. Yeah, it did. That's true. Yeah, TV movie. Good point. But Benicio del Toro is one of not the main villain. He's one of the henchmen, and so you know that was a. Uh, that he, is so weird. You just said Benicio del Toro because as you were talking, I was thinking I'd rather watch Sicario again than, in some ways, see another James Bond or make him James Bond. Why not? That'd be fun. I think yeah. Tiffany, Dal- Tiffany Dalton make a great Bond villain. Yeah. You know, yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Surprised that he played he, Bond. Yeah. Yeah. He actually played a great villain in uh, what was the movie? Flash Gordon. The, the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. Rocketeer is a great movie. What that a is a great, great movie. I love movie. that film. I love that. Yes. And he played a great Nazi villain in that. Oh, right on the edge of being a parody, but but not. You know, he had that. that he was Errol course. Flynn. He yeah. was Errol Flynn. Yes, yeah. of course, right. But that was such a great film, and uh, with the gorgeous Jennifer Connelly. Um, Great which I'd just seen it before in the, the little-known film noir that was directed by uh, Dennis Hopper called... Was it, the, was it The Big Easy? No, no, no. Dennis Hopper directed... Oh, The Hot Spot. The Hot, the hot Spot, spot. With, 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 Don, Don with Don Johnson. Fantastic neo-noir film. That's Love a great that. movie. Oh, my God, that's an underrated movie. Very much. This has got anyway, the worst we're, title. And the worst yeah. poster. <laughs> then you watch it. You're like, oh my god, this is a great. This is actually and, a great. Movie. And about the best music, the soundtrack by Taj Mahal. It's got this really jazzy, fantastic soundtrack. Anyway, we're getting off. We, we've jumped a little bit off off track, but nonetheless, if you haven't seen those films we just mentioned, folks, The Rocketeer and The Hotspot, do yourself a favor. One thing I do love about James Bond is the lore about the casting. I mean, it's I, you were looking up some things today, Paul, and I think Adam, you have some stories about the casting that you might want to share with us. Well, let's see if I can. I'm going to. Tr- I'm going to try to get Adam here. Let's stump him. The trivia question is: Who's the first person to ever play James Bond on screen? Go ahead, Errol Flynn. Barry Nelson. Barry. There was a made-for-TV Wait, version. Wait, Barry Nelson. Who was best known for playing the guy in The Shining, who's the Overlook Hotel manager who interviews Jack Nicholson at the beginning of The Shining and tells him the story of Grady killing the family. And they made a TV show, which was an anthology series like The Twilight Zone called Climax. They adapted 
uh, and it's unwatchable. I've tried to watch. It's unwatchable. A live TV version of Casino Royale where they switched the nationalities of James Bond and Felix Leiter. So it's CIA agent Jim Bond and, uh, you know, Honor Majesty's Service Felix Leiter. And Peter Lorre plays Le Chiffre. So that's the, the only cool thing is you get to see Peter Lorre as a Bond villain. But it's just so boring. But yeah, that so Barry Nelson was the first. But then there was a lot of buildup to Dr. No, including possibly it being an Alfred Hitchcock film starring Cary Grant, but only as a one-off. But that didn't happen. But yeah. I mean, but that villain, is that's perfect as a villain. Peter Lorre. Uh, Peter oh, yeah. Lorre. Oh, my, oh, my God. God. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that must have been great. Like, you would want him in one of the real movies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the last one's Rami Malek, mm-hmm. who um, has a little bit of physical resemblance mm-hmm. in the eyes. But, yeah, he plays a, the villain in this movie. Does he wear um, the, the fake teeth that he had when he played Freddie Mercury? <laughs> he <laughs> swallowed <laughs> them in the first scene. He has his Dracula teeth. Yeah. <laughs> the wax lips he had on playing Freddie, Freddie Mercury, lip-syncing to Freddie Mercury. There's a whole age thing. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, he can't be this age, the way the plot works. Um, there's a huge error in that. You see a flashback from like 30 years ago, and then Robbie Malik's maybe an adult then, and then he's still the same age now. I don't know. what. Yeah, that was like just a casting thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you kind of let that go. But you had a story, that. Adam, did you, about the casting? I, I don't want I was going to make it a trivia, but I interviewed uh, James Brolin and James Brolin was up to play James Bond mm-hmm. and he was, he, he um, Sicario, trained. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, his son, but he, uh, James, right. the father, he, he uh, trained, he worked out, he worked with people for um, just the action of it all. And then the last minute, Roger Moore decided to do another movie. Yeah. Super th- pissed. There was a period really around the time Moonraker came out that like every time Roger Moore said, that's it, I'm done. And so they always had that. They wanted Dalton. They loved Dalton and Dalton had just done flash Gordon. They loved Dalton and Dalton. Cause I don't know if I want to do it. So they lined up a bunch of people. I showed Lisa, uh, Sam Neill did a screen test. Not just on video, like from the movie. Yeah, yeah. it was a scene from wow. uh, they did a scene from I think it was for your eyes only, but more went to do for your eyes only and said, OK, but that's it. And so it was Jane. They were they they had, they had kicked around the idea of making Bond American. And that's when they did. A, there's a, exists a screen test of Brolin, as you were saying, that he was going to possibly play him in Octopus. Yes, yeah, so he moved to England and got yeah. ready to play him. Yeah. And then they, they, he got thrown out. He also told me he turned down Superman because he didn't want to wear tights, basically. <laughs> he thought it would be ridiculous. So James Brolin told you this? Well, I had read the research. So I asked him about it, and he said, yes, yeah. so we had him talk about it on our on uh, the show. Yeah. So he confirmed it. He confirmed uh, He's like, wow, I don't, it just seemed weird wearing tights. Uh, yeah. 
But he, or do you think he would be a good James Bond? Is he no. follow? No, no. 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 Well, that's the thing. Yes, no. be British. Why? Well, that's I agree. Well, that's okay. the thing. The James Bond ness. That's kind of what I was trying to get at at the beginning. What is that about the it being British that makes it such? That's the I. You know how what makes it iconic? But no, I don't see that. I mean, I don't see James Brolin in that. Although I would say, if I were going to re, if I, obviously I'm not getting the job casting the next James Bond. Yeah, I think I sort of, check your phone. I think, I think I'm kind of, I'm out I'll of the running. Your LinkedIn. <laughs> you don't know. But if it were going to be me, I think Daniel Henney, which I don't know if any of you know who Daniel Henney is, but he um, is in the new Wheel of what is it? It's on Amazon now with Rosamund Pike. Wheel of Time. Oh, he's also on Criminal Minds. He was a series regular on Criminal Minds. But he, but uh-huh. Daniel, Don, Daniel has that sort of je ne sais quoi. I mean, he's an American. He's actually a Korean-American. Uh, but he's so sophisticated and smooth and, you know, doesn't really break a sweat even when he's doing a takedown. Um, I think he would make a great James Bond or Idris Elba. I'm not the first person to say that, but... You know, Idris has that sort of the testosterone, yet he can cry and he can, you know, I, I don't know. I just I love and he looks great in, you know, I mean, he looks great shorts, in, a, in shorts and tights. Yeah, you'd look great in tights. Come on, Liz, you know. <laughs> we, we hear you. <laughs> well, um, that would be good because, of course, I mean, you know, he could he could authentically be a, a you know from like West Indian or whatever descent through through the British history in there. That would that would make sense. That wouldn't jar with me at all. Hmm. I think that would be cool. He's also cool. Yeah, right? that's yeah. that's what he has. There's a there's a yeah, he's got a coolness to him. Cool. Yeah, well, there's a thing about Bond where men want to be him, women want to be under him, kind of a kind of a vibe, or, or on top of him, whatever you know. In this quote, it depends on the feel. Yeah, it yeah. depends. <laughs> so I mean, if I had to cast it, if you know they made me cast it, then I guess I would definitely go Idris or Daniel. But are there any other casting stories, Paul, that you found? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things is like that. that when Connery did the first five, Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice. And he said, that's it. I did five. And he was getting a little tired of doing it. And he was clashing with the producers. And so he left after five. So that's enough. I did. That's what else do you want from me? And then the producers were a little peeved at him for leaving the productions. And the mentality they had when they cast George Lazenby, uh, your countryman, Dean, Indeed. Um, in the in the role of Bond was basically a middle finger to Connor. Said we can get any good looking dude to play this part. The star was Bond, not you. We can get an unknown, and I think Lazenby was. I he could have been a good Bond. He just was thrown into the deep end. It's like here, your first movie is replacing Sean Connery at its peak and mm. playing the most emotional Bond film. That's the film where he falls in love gets married and it has a sad ending. That's your first movie. And you're looking back, it's actually a pretty good Bond film. And he's not bad. He's rough around the edge, but he he looks great. He You could get the sense if he had a few more under his belt, he would have actually been pretty mm. good at it. Yeah, that's not a that's not an uncommon view, Paul. And of course, they were both ex male models as well. They came right. up as, as close horses and, you know, transformed into acting. So they had that going for him as well. Why did they uh, bring him back? Do you know, it, it, it's really a he said, she said. Lazenby claimed he wanted out because of the reception. The producers claim they didn't want him back because of the reception. 
And they made the decision to hire an American named John Gavin, who's best known for playing uh, Janet Lee's boyfriend in the beginning of Psycho. He also mm-hmm. played Julius Caesar in Spartacus, uh, completely unmemorably. Uh, and he was ca- he's a good looking dude who actually wound up becoming an ambassador. But he was cast to play Bond in Diamonds Are Forever. And then at the last minute, the producers looked around and said, what the hell are we doing? Give Connery all the money. And Connery said, I want all the money. And so they gave him every dime on the planet. And Connery was brought in for like an astronomical sum for 1970. Like it was like $3 million or 500 percentage of this and that. And they had to fund a Scottish theater company or something like that. And so he came back for <laughs> Even one. worse, they had to go watch it. <laughs> they did, they, 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 he, was, he was paid in haggis. And... Um, <laughs> And he did the one film and then would not come back for Live and Let Die. But then that's when they brought in Roger Moore. But yeah, John Gavin, though, was was cast and they had to pay him five hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy five hundred thousand dollars, which five hundred thousand dollars is good now. But that was really huge in nineteen seventy to pay him off to. OK, you know, they had signed him to a multi-film deal. And so they paid him off. Yeah. And uh, Connery returned back for one unofficial Bond film made by another producer, which is a whole different story about why. Was it Never Say Never? Never Say Never Again, which is basically a remake of Thunderball because the producers of Thunderball, someone had the rights to Thunderball and they worked with them to make an official movie because they didn't want to have a fiasco like the David Niven Casino Royale. And they had the rights to make another Bond film, but the only thing they could do was remake Thunderball. And so... That was in competition with Octopussy. And they the only way they could have made the film was if they brought back Sean Connery and put him in a horrible toupee. And oh yeah, that's 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 one of the that's it, that's in folklore. That's that is awful. That's an awful I mean, never say never again with a completely indifferent uh Sean Connery. The director hmm. of The Empire Strikes Back, there's a lot of good people involved in the film, but it is Oh man, it is it is a mess. It is a mm. slog, and it's a remake of Thunderball, and it's good casting yeah. in it. Good casting: well, Max von Sydow, Klaus Maria Brandauer, Kim Basinger. They're good actors in it, but it stinks. Well, just a couple of things, real quick, uh, to follow up on what you just said. I just quickly googled. Uh, uh, it's three and a half million in in today, five hundred grand. In 1970s, three and a half million. So that's not bad walking away money. Yeah. And the other thing is, I read an article and saw some photos of Lazenby um, only about six months ago. He's 82, and he looks about 60. He He looks amazing. He's in incredible shape. He's he's just really, and he seems really chilled. And yeah, he's you know he's comfortable. James Brolin also looks amazing. I don't want to. I don't know. I'm not working for him. I don't have any money on this horse, but I'm just saying that guy is like. Wouldn't that have been funny 80s, if James if James Brolin had been cast, and then like Barbara Streisand had been like one of the Bond girls? Or sang the theme song? Yeah, that would be awesome. finger. Yeah, um, and 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 twenty minute version of Josh was the Josh could be a bad guy, or like or so. like she, or Barbara Streisand pretends to be a man to join MI6, and it's like <laughs> gold Goldiental or something like that, or. <laughs> Octiental. Octiental. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. What about Josh Brolin as James Bond? I mean, could he do that now? Would you? Oh, wow. 
No, no. I, I think he's no. got to be British. He would, he, he, he would make. Yeah, he has I mean, to be you know, from his work Clive Scario, Owen. Clive Owen was the Clive one who was just sitting oh, there. Of course. I know. I thought that he was he, the now he's choice, a little. Right? Yeah, yeah, I can't do it now. But, but like there was that that sweet spot around the time that um, Daniel Craig. Right. You know, Daniel Craig, when he was cast, people were like, "Who?" And then they saw like in Layer Cake and Layer Cake was so good. And in yeah. Munich. And, uh, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how much of an, uh, a newcomer was Daniel Craig? I can't remember. I'm assuming that Roger Moore was a known star and Sean Connery was a non was a known big star. Right. Before they did Bond Connery, or no. Connery was a Connery was a working actor. Oh, OK. He had done, so they did... he had done, he had done Darby O'Gill and the yeah. little people and the longest day and a couple other things. But he wasn't a big star yet. OK, so then they do take a chance on like a new person to kind of to like reinvent Roger them. Moore had a yeah he did the same so yeah Roger Moore was a star yes yeah he, yeah same with like Pierce Brosnan he like kind of had a big well the same was probably more popular than Remington Steel but but people knew who Pierce Brosnan was there was there was a sense of there was an excitement that he was going to be Bond I think people it would have accepted him as Bond it's kind of um, the same time when Bruce uh what's his name yeah that Bruce Willis too. He had uh, moonlighting he and know. transformed into Die Hard. Like what? Yeah. Under moonlighting? Really? Just, he was considered. They, they just, I'm sorry. The, the, when he was cast, because that he was like the 93rd choice to play that part. Like they offered it to every action star. On, and on what? In, for Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. And, and he it was like it finally got to Bruce Willis. And the folks at 20th Century Fox were so terrified to show Bruce Willis in an action movie. Because it would have been like seeing like Ted Danson with a with a bazooka, um, you know, because they just <laughs> thought of him in, in Moonlighting that the first teaser that they cut did not include one frame of Bruce Willis. It was all the terrorists. It was explosions, but it was not one. It, it wasn't. Oh, how? How could you not have him in the teaser? Well, the teaser? it was it was a quick, but it was like they, the, the first a one. Lot they of cut. All limo driver. Yeah. The whole thing. <laughs> a lot of Argyle. Reginald Vell Johnson. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all wow. Bonnie Bedelia. People wanted Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia. But, or uh, Alan Rickman, boy. Um, yeah. so any okay, so who who would who would be your pick, Adam, if who to replace the um, you know? I think there's a lot of good choices, but I think then my number one would be Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians. Because I think he has everything. Yeah. Right? He's super yeah. handsome, he's debonair, he's got the accent. You just kind of trust that he can do anything. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. What about you, Dean? Yeah, uh, I, I, th I think I'd like to see Idris. I, I really would. Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's got everything that what of the things that I like about Bond. He's got, he's got physicality. He's got a stillness and an energy. He looks like he could beat the shit out of you. He's handsome, mm -hmm. um, and he's, you know, and he's, he's, he's now. I, I, if I was casting, I would definitely put him in. And I think he'd be massive for the franchise. But that aside, it doesn't matter. He can act and he can do the physical and he looks the part. And uh, he could take it in interesting directions. What about you, Polly? Oops, sorry. I, I, I totally agree with Dean. I think that, um, I mean, what I would love it to be is a complete unknown who that makes us say like, ooh, who is this guy? You know, kind of perks, perks you up. But mm -hmm. of the known actors that were kicking around, I think Alba hits every single box. You could see him doing the upper crust, sophisticated being, you know, wearing a tuxedo in Monte Carlo. But you could also see him kicking the snot out of someone in some underground, you know, lair. I think that he is 
of everyone out that we know that's 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 that would be who you'd pick mm-hmm. okay adam did you have something else that you're gonna say well, do you guys think that uh why does do you think uh idris elba's too old now because they were talking about him a while ago yeah do you think yeah. now we have a 50 well, year old how, james how, bond well how old is daniel craig he's in his 50s isn't he Think is yeah, I guess the age is. But he's been doing it for fifteen years. The he he's the longest tenured James Bond. He's passed. Well, that's because of the um, because of COVID. He got no, but even before COVID, I mean, the longest one before that was more. But Mm. I think this is the most. I mean, more did it between seventy three and eighty six, and Daniel Craig's been doing it since two thousand six. So, do you think Reggae Jean is too good looking? Do you think he or? Do you think he's just good looking? Who? Uh, Reggae Jean Page from uh, what is it, Bridgerton? Oh, ooh, he does have that swag. Your show, Liz. huh? Your show, Bridgerton. No, oh, it's not my show. I fucking hate that show. Sorry, Shonda. No, you're right. You don't want to cast that show either, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you hate Shondaland, huh? You want to stay as far away as you can from Shondaland. Interesting. Yeah, Any more bridges you want to blow yeah. up right now? I know, I know. You brought the idea of the podcast. You brought up more bridges than a Bond villain at this point. It's just <laughs> as a true Anglophile who's seen many, many body strippers and all that, Um, it just doesn't hold the candle to Peaky Blinders. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that he would be great, Adam. I think that he has that je ne sais quoi, whatever yeah. this archetype needs for sure. So, you know, I think this this is a long shot, but I'm willing to do it. You're willing to do it. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I could. I could pull it off. I think maybe one or two, you know, one or two Bond films. Yeah. Well, you, 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 your offers only Bond. now, right? So I got Bond. a license to kill. <laughs> wait. So wait, when Paul Regis. was showing me, wait, when Paul, <laughs> Paul was showing me all of the auditions of other actors for James Bond, for whatever reason, there was a there was a thumbnail of Larry David, and and I was like, Larry David audition <gasps> for James Bond, but and Paul, do do your Larry David. It's James uh, Bond. A pretty pretty good. License to kill. Is it a license to kill? Really? Is it? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's a. Uh, I would want to see him in the Q lab. I'm going. It's a pretty chintzy uh, gadget here. It's just. Uh, it's a. Uh... Oh, by the way, uh, the the dude who played Q in the. I mean, obviously, Desmond Llewellyn was the great greatest Q and did it for all those years, and Desmond Llewellyn was the one who said of all the Bond actors he worked with, he said Timothy Dalton was the one who was closest to the Bond on the page, on the in the Ian Fleming page. But the dude who played him, was, what's his, he was the voice of Paddington. He was... Um, oh, yeah, yeah Hugh. Uh, ben yeah. Ben Wishaw. Oh, Ben yes. Wishaw. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Wish- sorry, he was so... Like, when you have people who had to fill in those classic roles... He did such a great and those those scenes with Q are really just tremendous with Daniel Daniel Craig because it had it had the humor without the camp. And the best mm. moments with Desmond Llewellyn and Sean Connery had the same thing where it was there was humor, but it wasn't 
like by the time it was with Roger Moore, it was basically he might as well have been juggling. You know, it was like insane. <laughs> and, and you know, I loved that that one moment they gave Bond a, a watch, and he said, and Daniel Craig kind of looks at it and says, "Does it do anything?" And he says, "It tells time." But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He had to he had to come in and immediately hit with Daniel Craig and and yeah. all the other great casting in there. And I I re- I think was it the first scene where we saw him where he wanders into the art gallery yes, was that yes, the, like yes. the introduction that really like that was memorable for some reason and it's like this 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 guy is interesting character wow oh, yeah fantastic. good replacement you're right he, he mm. is fantastic actor but talking about i just want to bring this up um talking about casting what it must be like to be a casting director and what the casting call must have been like for a specific character in the bond series there's a character called felix leiter and felix leiter is the cia operative who often works with bond he, was that David Hedison back in the day? David Hedison played him in Live yeah. and Let Die and License to Kill. But the thing about it is that for some reason, they kept recasting Felix Leiter. Like they had the same M, the same money penny, the same Q. All of them were consistent. But Felix Leiter, they kept getting a different actor for each movie. And they lo- the actors looked nothing alike. Like yeah, in, the, right. in Dr. No, he was played by Jack Lord. And so, and, and uh, that, okay, you can see it. He's yeah. kind of the he's kind of the American answer to Bond. Great. Next time you see him in Goldfinger, he's now twenty five years older than Bond, with gray hair, short, stumpy. So, Felix, good to see you. I go, Wait, what? And in Thunderball, he's a tall, skinny surfer dude. Diamonds Are Forever, he's chunky. He's David Hedison. He's he's Jeffrey Wright in the Daniel Craig films. And I just imagine what the, the casting call must be like. So we need to cast uh, Felix Leiter, okay? Uh, what kind of actor? We're looking for a male. That's it. That's just, we're looking for a male. Just a male. No, no, no. But he can't match Bond, though. I mean, right? That's the consistent thing I hear is that like, yeah. he's not but Bond. In he's- some films, he is a handsome dude. Like David Hedison was a handsome dude. The guy who played him in Thunderball was like, this looked like a, a beach boy. And the, but then he's kind of a chubby guy in Diamonds Are Forever, and he's this old dude in Goldfinger. It makes no sense. He, but, he gets reinvented like the Doctor in every movie. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> you know, I just had a feeling. You know, I just remembered that I think Ben Cumberbatch could have been a good Bond too. But it's just I don't. I think now. I think I don't that time has passed. I do too. I do too. All right. Well, this is way more Bond than I ever thought I would talk about. <laughs> It's not have one we, of my have favorites. we converted you, Lisa? Is do you feel any different? Have we moved the needle? Uh yeah, that's the make pretty, pretty, yeah, maybe a little bit. Much. Um well, do what are your favorite ones? I mean, like I what are what are your favorite Bond films? I, I couldn't name one. I don't know. I'm just not a Bond girl. You know what I mean? I've just never really like all my friends would get so excited whenever Christmas time rolled around and a new Bond movie would come out, and I'd be like, eh. My sister you never wanted to act in one Bond, yeah. huh? You, you never wanted to act in one. You didn't want to be a Bond girl. You didn't want to get uh, some. You would have been some, uh, some classy name like Pussy Galore. What's wrong with you, <laughs> Lisa Galore? Nope, never did. Uh, but anyway, I want to thank you, gentlemen, uh, for joining me today to for this thought experiment about. Uh, uh, casting James Bond and Adam, tell us again your your podcast. Sure, it's called Proudly Resents, and there's about 200 episodes, but I split it up in different categories. So right now, uh, you can go to Proudly Resents and look for the bad Christmas movies. 
And um, there's also oh, I'm going to get that. I love bad Christmas oh, movies. I put Paul's yeah. on one of them. Paul, I don't know if you the uh, Jack Frost. Oh yeah. We well, that was an, an amazing episode. That was an incredible episode with Jeff Cesario. <laughs> we were interviewed. We we're talking to Jeff Cesario about a different movie, and then he just mentions that he wrote Jack Frost. And then the two of us were shocked, we're and like, that's all we wanted to talk about. Like, like he said it as if it said, as if I would say, "Oh, I grabbed a slice of pizza the other day." It's like, "Oh yeah, I co-wrote the Michael Keaton turns into a snowman film, Jack Frost." It was like, you know, record scratch. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like, so, the, we both like Adam and I both throw our notes in the air. Said, "Forget everything else. You're telling us yeah. everything about the making of that movie." And. Jeff is such a funny guy and had great memories of the making of this just fiasco of a film. And he, and which he, you know, has no, uh, he has no illusions that it's like a, a classic well, film. It's fun to watch me and Paul dance lightly around the fact that it was a terrible movie because he wrote it. Um, and then proudly presents, we have interviews and then reviews. So you can look for both of those. Too. Thank you for having me. Lisa. This is fun. Absolutely. And Paul, what are you working on these days? Um, I'm, uh, I'm amongst many other things and teaching and everything. I am the, I'm still the host of locked on MLB, my baseball podcast, mm -hmm. uh, and which we're still doing episodes, even though the season's over and there's a lockout, I'm still churning out episodes and having a lot of fun, uh, doing them. And I've got some fun guests and, uh, just, uh, baseball memories and things like that. And talking baseball cards and all sorts of other things. And you'll be taking out the garbage later tonight. So I'm very will. happy about yeah, that. Uh, Dini, you're my, you're my wingman. You're my, you're my just best bud. It's so nice to see oh, you. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to be back in the pod. We've both been extremely busy. Yeah. And so I'm very pumped not only to be in Sydney and traveling, but this is my last gig of the year. So when I, finish this gig at about lunchtime Thursday. I am done for the year and I don't need to work again until the end of Jan. <gasps> so I can devote a whole bunch of time to all fun stuff like this and my other podcast. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be fun. Just chilling uh, Melbourne. Uh, uh, summer has finally arrived. It's been freezing uh -huh. cold. So uh, yeah, it's just going to be summer in, uh, in Oz and um, no work pressure. No debt. I'm so sick of deadlines have just been killing me for months. I've had multiple overlapping deadlines, and now they're about to be gone. So I'm about to be a happy camper. And Dean's other podcast is all about free diving. And tell us what that, what the name of that is. Yes. So that is, it's called the Oz Dive podcast, OZ. And it's, it's about free diving, but also uh, it's all diving. So it's technical and cave diving. It's regular scuba diving. And it's free diving. And so um, there's going to be a, it's one of the world's biggest conferences on diving. It's happening in Melbourne next year, October 1. But we intro the sessions from 2019, which because it's a biannual. So we present uh, speakers who speak on the topics of cave diving, tech diving, and free diving. So if you're into that, check us out. Fantastic. And I, thanks for that blobbing that little ball up for me to hit, Lise. You're no problem. Up. That's what I'm here for. All <laughs> right, you guys. Thank you so much. And this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting was created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Sound editing by Dean Laffin from Real World Productions. Logo art by April Laffin. Theme music provided by Amphibious Zoo Music.